0: Hello, and welcome to This Week in the Ancient Near East. The podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Whoopal. With me, as always, are two academics from genuine, real, bona fide institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. We're coming to you once again from the wading pool at the world-renowned Jack P. Cousteau Ocean Engineering Facility here on the beautiful Hubel campus. Today, we're talking about the Magan Michael B. shipwreck, dating to the late 7th or early 8th century CE, lost just off the coast of Israel. Packed with a bunch of stuff, including olives, dates, fish, and walnuts, And a big pile of broken glass this 23 meter long boat was on its way well somewhere when it went down is this evidence for large-scale shipping in what's supposed to be and i hesitate to say this a dark age didn't they notice the momentous changes taking place on land like the end of byzantine rule and the rise of islam or was that the opportunity okay so I have an apropos lightning round. Um, best boat ride that you've been on. Hmm.
1: Interesting. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, good. Nervous silence.
1: Just what just what our listener <laughs>
0: tunes in for.
1: Um. All right. I have. I have two. Can I okay. you do two? Multiple one, answers
0: are 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 welcome.
1: Okay. So so one was the very first circle line I ever took as a kid. Yeah. Oh going around that's Manhattan. That's
2: a great, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that one was good. Um, although it was kind of negated by the very first circle line we ever took with our kids where they were miserable the whole time. So mm-hmm. yeah. And then <laughs> um there was there was a time that I don't know if you all remember, but we vacationed together, uh-huh. the three of us, up in Ithaca. I think it was, and there was oh, yeah. a lake, and there was a motorboat, and somebody took oh, yeah. out with lots of children on the motorboat. And uh, right. that was, yeah, that was my only time in a motorboat, and that was exciting. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Miss
0: Ellie's cabin.
1: Yeah, uh, what was that? Le- what lake is that? Cayuga. I- Cayuga. <laughs> right. Okay. So, so that's my, that's my answer. All okay,
0: right. that's a good answer.
2: <clears throat> well, one of my most favorite boat memories is <clears throat> taking a ferry from, and this is the part I can't remember. I, I don't know if it was from Italy or the island of Sardinia to Barcelona. Oh. And I don't know what class of service we had, But we had a cabin, and it was air conditioned, and the sheets were great.
3: Oh, and
2: it was so restful. And it was the boat was filled with tourists, Italian tourists going to Spain, and a lot of them had dogs, and all the dogs wore underpants because they were on a on a ferry. So there was like Just a, like
0: in antiquity, yeah.
2: There was a kind of meaning-esque <clears throat> wow, atmosphere to the whole thing. I but have the whole no thing idea. was Great.
1: That was that's a thing. Dogs wearing underpants. Wow. Yeah,
2: yeah. Wow. On ferry boats. Yeah, and it was a long ferry ride, so it was almost like a cruise, which I've never been on. Hmm. But that was great. Yeah. That sounds great. Alex,
0: Alex? <laughs> I, I can't really, I can't really beat that. Um, yeah. Well. I I I love going on the Staten Island ferry. Yeah, because it's even though it's not a long ride, you there's something there's something about the view right. that really uh, you know makes a makes a statement. <laughs> even though, and, and you're not out to sea, right. um, particularly. Uh, but I also remember one ferry ride from Cyprus to Israel back in the eighties, which uh, was very un- unlike the uh, <laughs> ferry ride that you describe. Right. Uh, but I remember sitting on the, on the deck, it was, you know, a billion degrees, the plate, right. the thing was crowded as all hell. And I remember <sighs> sitting on the back at the back of the boat, drinking beer all night long with um, an Irish, peacekeeper who was going back, who was on his way back to uh, Lebanon Hmm. and um, you know, exchanging, exchanging various stories all through the night and drinking beer. And then the sun comes up and there you are in Haifa and it's, it's even more than a billion degrees now. (laughs) And uh, so, so, so boats and ferries, you know voyages of, of discovery <laughs> pleasure pleasure and pain all all wrapped up into uh into one or the other
3: that's
2: and
0: tough. that's the that and that's just for the ones that don't sink
2: right. right Or the ones that where you don't lose all toilets within like a half an hour of leaving <laughs> port
0: <laughs> right i i seem to remember some of those like cruising around the greek islands in the 80s yeah. also oh, yeah gosh. But um,
1: the adventures you two have had, apparently. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> it's, it's,
2: yeah, we've we've all had adventures. I guess so. I guess.
0: Yeah. Um, nothing on the Staten Island ferry, though, that that I remember. But uh, <laughs> and in no case did any of these things sink, and did no, th- and if it did sink, I think seventy meters offshore would be just about the edge of my ability to my current ability to swim back to safety.
1: Good point. Yeah. Should, should we say what we're talking about?
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe we should do a new strategy and try and, you know, make the listener infer from, from cryptic parenthetical statements. Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> okay.
1: uh, so there was uh, recently, fairly recently, a, shipwreck discovered um, off the coast of Northern Israel um, near, uh, I guess it's a kibbutz, um, Magen Michal. uh, And this is known as Shipwreck Magen Michal B because there was an original one found a few years earlier. So um, this is an early Islamic period shipwreck uh, found uh, fairly intact in terms of contents and I guess ship itself and uh there's lots to say about it
2: <laughs> or, or there will be one by the time we're done
1: right and one reason i was attracted to this is because we haven't really talked about the early islamic period that much so no.
2: well we did the soap thing we're, the soaps that's of right thing. that was Next episode
0: bit. number one yeah. right <laughs> season right. one
1: so we have okay but so hardly we remembered
0: talk. here in season 23 <laughs> but it's
1: been about a year and a half since we talked about the early islamic period in that case right.
0: That's right. Oh, and, and the news items, of course, were touting that uh, it's a dark age.
1: Right. Well, right. there we go. So, uh,
0: and we, we should maybe dispense with that.
1: If everybody knows how we feel about dark ages by now.
0: Oh, yeah. Right. Especially if anybody listened to the last episode. Right.
2: Dark, dark ages and golden, golden ages are both completely uh, unsubstantiated. And um, this was another case. Of everyone saying that the late 7th, early 8th century was a dark age in which the, every, all of the various and sundry societies were the Byzantines, the Sasanians, the Umayyads, uh, whoever else is floating around the <laughs> Eastern Mediterranean. Does right. that about cover it? I think that covers it. All of the <laughs> nominally independent polities. They were all... <laughs>
0: They were all, you know, hunkering down. Prost, they're prostate, <laughs> <laughs> prostrate, <Right. laughs> they're in a prostrate problem. But
2: yeah. And they so were all good. hunkering down after, after all sorts of ex- <clears throat> exertions. And I'm there wasn't a lot going right. on. And yeah. then right. lo and behold, and actually this is the rediscovery of this wreck. Yeah. Because it had been found in like 2005 or six. Right, and then and then they couldn't find. They lost it again. Right, right. The ocean covered it up with sand, and so they couldn't find it. And it was rediscovered.
0: It's a very mysterious place, the bottom of the sea. It is. There's a lot going on. A lot of movement. Right. Ocean.
1: That's true. true. Um, I I actually like that aspect. This was a as most (laughs) shipwrecks are a chance find, Um, and so many of the shipwrecks we know are chance. Finds, um, and I was just reading something about the um, Antikythera mechanism again. You know, the shipwreck that was found by divers in early 20th century, late 19th century, just made me think about how how much has just kind of been churned up by the sea over the years. But that's right,
0: and churned up by humans. Uh, the The Antikythera mechanism was found by sponge divers who were using relatively new technology of the big those big metal hats (laughs) to walk around in deeper water than usual. And lo and behold, you know, they bumped into all this and they're dragging it around and picked up some big chunks. So it is a very chancy. It's a chancy place, the bottom of the sea. And it's, uh, but I guess the bad news is that now that humans can reach pretty much any part of the bottom of the ocean, we're screwing all that stuff up too. Right. Dragging it around and, drilling holes and
3: right, just sure. generally
0: making a mess of things. But I'm glad that they refound this yeah. late 7th, early 8th century shipwreck because there is there is a bunch of cool stuff on it. All yeah. this glass. The glass is the most interesting thing.
2: You don't think the walnuts? I think the walnuts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised that they weren't found in, in thick syrup. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can pickle <laughs> walnuts also. Oh. I'm I've never had a pickled walnut.
1: That's well, something to aspire to try.
0: Well, what's what's so interesting about a, a walnut? I mean, just the <laughs> preservation or the the fact of its walnut ness?
1: Yeah, just the fact that there was a jar
2: that there was a um, store jar filled with walnuts. Yeah,
1: a- and the preservation, the pictures of it, they look like walnuts. Walnuts, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, so so we should talk about the fact that there's lots of stuff, lots of commodities, including the glass, which you already mentioned that um and the glass included waste, waste products of glass, maybe destined for recycling. But you got really?
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah, they were recycling. So, right. the, so so the bottom hadn't fallen out of the glass market like it has now, where we don't where we no longer recycle glass. Oh, we don't? <clears throat> Not really. Don't don't you
1: have a glass pickup?
2: <laughs> we don't have we don't have glass pickup and then uh, anymore because the bottom has fallen out of really? the glass market. Yeah, it's
0: too cheap to to recycle. Really, huh. like most like most things.
2: Right. Well, we have it's... a glass
1: pickup. I mean, we have a commingled
2: pickup. Right, now. but I suspect they're probably just throwing the glass out, huh. and they they just do it for ease of pickup. But whatever. Let's get back to. <laughs> <let's> get- <laughs> Get away from current recycling practices. I, I want to
1: point out something else that completely yes. irrelevant. That um we were I was walking along the beach in New Jersey the other day and noticing that there's uh, a lot less sea glass out there than there was in in my childhood. And we were wondering if that has to do with uh with with recycling and people are throwing less glass wow. bottles into the ocean and
2: well, there's certainly more plastic in the okay. ocean than there, than there used to be. So there it might be a, a glass plastic ratio
1: that's been inverted. That's interesting. Okay. Sorry. back to- Well, but
0: the, 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 the beaches of New Jersey, well-known for their pristine qualities <laughs> are uh, there, there is much less, there is much less glass, but that's also a social thing that uh, people are, You know, the the beverages that people take to the beach are no longer exclusively found in glass.
2: Right. And we no longer communicate by putting messages in bottles. That's a shame. You know.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a great practice that needs to be revived.
2: With email and all.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All That begs the question. You always want to know who's going to find your glass bottle. Um, Yeah.
2: All right. So So we, we
1: have this glass that's being
2: recycled. And um, we have our walnuts. We have walnuts, we have all sorts of things. Olives, dates, figs, fish bones, pine nuts,
1: grapes. Right, right, garum, or at least bones. Oh, and garum, right. Um, And then of course we have the containers for some of this material, the amphora themselves, which have been analyzed and where they came from um, initially. So there's a lot to talk about. Where do you want to start? Well, so
0: who's doing this? We don't know. We don't know.
2: And it's always the interesting thing about, um, about shipwrecks and archaeology is that they're very, very mysterious. They're very exciting. We always get lots of um, interesting finds. And then ultimately, we never know where they're coming from, where they're going, or who owned the ship. Or who's doing it. Or who's doing it. Exactly. Right. And that's kind of an interesting thing. Um, we know a lot, but we don't know some of the main questions, some of the big questions.
1: Right, right. And, and yeah, because, because the, the material on the ship comes from a variety of places. So the fish bones were from maybe the Sea of Galilee, whereas the walnuts need this colder climate. So they might be from Syria or Turkey as opposed to the Southern Levant or Egypt or anything. So you've got this mix of cargo from all over. Right. And and it's,
0: but that's exactly sort of how it is kind of today. Yeah,
2: right.
0: That uh, you, have, you have ships that are registered, that are built in one place, registered in another place, crewed by international international crews, mm-hmm. which have cargoes of this, that, and, and the other thing. And it's 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 a little bit different now in that you have these ginormous container ships, and I was reading this great book called *The Box* about the history <laughs> of containers, and which gave a description of uh, why, why are you making a face?
1: It's just that you have a thing about containers.
0: I love containers. Container, um,
1: yeah. This is actually the perfect topic for you because it has to do with shipping, and you. Just- That's
0: right, but my point was that before <laughs> before there were c- containers, and this is right. this is an important point, that there were there were longshoremen, right? There were specialized people um, who were very kind of almost tribal and clannish, um, whose specialty was packing ships filled with stuff. And this was a a long process that could take weeks and all sorts of random items and random sizes were stuffed here and there. And it had to all sort of be balanced. So the ship didn't tip over and so that you could get the stuff out in some kind of relative order as, as the ship went from port to port. Right. Right. And certainly in antiquity, you had the same, sorts of considerations you wanted the ship to be full you're not going to waste space you wanted the ship to be loadable and unloadable in a particular order especially if you're going to a variety of stops
2: well that's the thing that's the that's an interesting point because this particular ship and i think that there are a lot of parallels to uh sort of what we're learning about this particular ship and late bronze age racks which which we certainly know about um, they seem to be kind of short hops, in which there's a lot of, you know, material. There's a lot of commodities coming on and off in a kind of a constant, in a constant state of being loaded and unloaded. Um, and yes, there's a certain order. Certainly, in like Ula Barun, there seemed to be a real kind of specific order, but this one seemed a little haphazard, uh, and that kind of speaks to the issue of some of the conclusions drawn by the excavators, the underwater excavators being a sort of an interregional Egypt to Southern, to the Southern Levant, maybe to Cyprus. And that was it. Right. Um, and right. so maybe packing it and order organizing the load was not quite as crucial.
0: Right. And this ship was how big? It's like 23 meters long. 23 I meters
2: long, seven meters wide. And that okay. which made it very large compared to all of the, Sort of contemporaneous shipwrecks that we know about in the Eastern Mediterranean, right, and right. one of the one of the big conclusions seemed to be that the size of this ship indicates that large scale shipping, which everyone assumed was not taking place in the late seventh early eighth century, was taking place. Right, and so that the political situation was did not uh, hinder um, the interregional trade yeah and that's something that we also sort of know from the late bronze age great mm-hmm. the, yeah, yeah sure. these
0: guys are like islam meh, christianity whatever <laughs> we have deliveries to make
2: right and people want the stuff and people want of, the stuff regardless right. of you know whatever the geopolitical situation is whoever isn't talking to whomever and whoever's fighting whomever You know the flow of goods must continue and we're seeing that now i mean this is a big issue actually now in terms of uh in terms of gas flowing out of russia um you know there's a a major conflict and everyone's got to figure out how they're going to keep the commodities flowing
1: right throughout this
2: major conflict
1: right I, i should point out that um in one of the maybe it was in the preliminary report they did point out that that Um, different ends of the ship do seem to have been loaded with different sized or shaped um, jars. So there is some sort of differentiation. Um, The excavators were trying to figure out if it was based on contents or based on where or how they were loaded. But I think the point about destination, you need to be able to unload this stuff. That's probably even more important because you're gonna put it in, in, in the form that you can take it out, like you said.
0: Um, right. Well, that's why before the advent of containers, it took one <laughs> that, of the reasons why it took weeks and weeks to to <laughs> to load a ship because it had to be put together in a particular in a particular order.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, and, I, I, that's very important. I think um, um,
0: even for even for short hops, I think that this ship belonged to um, uh, late Byzantine, early Umayyad Fred Sandford. <laughs> and, and that this is Fred and Lamont Sanford with their with their Ford truck. and these are just like junkmen.
2: Right. Well, that's right. And that's why I didn't think that the loading issue was so crucial because in
0: this particular case. Right. right.
1: Well, that's interesting, um, maybe. <laughs> um, I, the, the also Another speculation was some of this food might have been for the crew to eat. Like right, the walnuts which preserve well. And, um, right. you know. I think we have to also consider the crew. As opposed always, consider to the, crew. the crew. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> um, you want to keep the crew happy in order for the thing to continue.
0: Well, uh, again, on the basis of modern analogies, <laughs> the crew, the crews are not happy. The crews are basically, you know, uh, almost indentured, indentured
1: servants,
0: servants yeah. and they're and they're literally stuck on ships.
1: Right. Yeah, but you know what, here's another question, another analogy that I want to at least throw out there is, you know, privateers, not in the sense of pirating, per se, but in the sense of being in business for yourself, as opposed to under a particular flag.
2: Right. But- well, it's very interesting that we really never know how Eastern Mediterranean trade in any period is organized. We know it's flowing, We know, what commodities are moving around. Uh, we know, you know, prestige items from domestic kinds of things, but we have no idea about how the actual trade is organized.
0: Well, until, until like uh, the Venetians come along. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, until we have historical records, historical
0: records that, that talk about the land-based
2: corporate
0: structures. Um, But the, 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 the poor seafarers themselves are kind of secondary.
1: Right. One thing I also want to point out about the Umayyad period, though, and this is, I I kind of, I don't know, I was so surprised to hear this referred to as a dark age in a way, because um, my limited knowledge, I know quite a lot about it for limited knowledge, so I assume that there's (laughs) actually a lot.
2: I'm (laughs) confused.
1: Yeah, but what I do know is that there was a lot of navy building, particularly in the northern coast of the southern Levant, in this area, and um, and the, the uh, Khalif Muawiyah um, built up the fleet very specifically, and he based it in um, Ako and then later it was moved to Tyre, but we're in this general area, and I understand that that is a naval fleet, you know, and naval battles and all that, but if you're going to be concentrating on the coast, in fact, getting the coast of Byzantine Palestine, conquering that coast was kind of a big deal in the Muslim um, takeover of, of the Levant. Um, if you're going to be concentrating so much on, on ships, then doesn't it make sense to also have commercial shipping as part of, the, part of the equation?
2: Well, I think so. It's just, I think that, again, we get into this little, you know, this little rut of thinking about historical periods in terms of Dark Ages and Golden Ages. It's a
0: crisis of expectations.
2: (laughs) Right. Or it's a crisis of, of, you know, no imagination, lack of imagination. And I think that one of the things every time a shipwreck is found is is that we become aware that, you know, shipping at all different kinds of uh, levels is an ongoing process and uh, fills in a lot of gaps.
1: Right. I
2: guess what I'm surprised at regarding just, I'm sorry, just to finish this, is is that there are no historical records from the late seventh or early eighth. I was surprised that there aren't Byzantine or Umayyad um, records talking about, you know, trade and shipping and ships uh, moving around. And um, in in not a dissimilar way, I'm always a little surprised that there aren't any late Bronze Age administrative uh, texts from Ugarit or Hattusha or anywhere. That mentioned shipping and mentioned the quantities of goods and sort of. Uh, well, the only, boxes. the
0: only thing that they do mention there, there are these Ugaritic kind of naval.
2: Right. But I'm talking about shipping, but, but
0: they're not, it's not commercial.
2: Right. And I'm always. Struck by the lack of documentation, but here we have it again. You know, in a in a much more modern period, in which there's a lot of writing and there's a lot of record keeping.
1: Yeah, but they don't seem to have any of this stuff being kept. Right, as right. and maybe it was kept in. in again, I always come back. To it's this. in
0: the next square. Well,
2: but it, this isn't a square. This is yeah. an archives. Of right, right. No, so, in the late
1: Bronze Age, the commercial records are clearly in the as yet undiscovered archives in a place <laughs> like. <laughs> yes right? But for here, maybe they're writing on something perishable, or, or maybe it's, I, I don't know, but but it, it does seem weird, right? That, that you know.
2: Where's that piece of paper? It was just here on my desk. <laughs>
1: it, blew right. away. it blew away into the sea. Yeah, See,
0: I, I think that maybe the answer is that um, <clears throat> these are just different kind of domains of activity that, you know, kings and emperors and city-states, yeah, some of them had navies, and that's what, That's because they had to occasionally use force against each other or whomever, but everything else, naval um, went on kind of below their, below their radar or, or it just wasn't there. Wasn't there, their interest. And I'm more surprised that there's no um, taxation kinds of record.
2: Well, that's what I mean. That's part of it. That's part of
0: it. Maybe we're not recognizing it. Um, I mean, there's not a lot of taxation records from the late, late Bronze Age in the first place. Well,
1: right. we need to talk about in the, the inscriptions Laval. now because one of the suggestions about the Arabic inscriptions, although I didn't quite understand why they made the suggestion, was that it's something to do with tax records. Um, but but considering the content that the article gave about those inscriptions, which has to do with, um, you know, Bismillah in the name of God then I don't understand how they're getting from that to tax records. But that was something that Right. And
2: I thought that was kind of an interesting thing that they said that the so there are two kinds of inscriptions, inscriptions that are uh, sort of um, Greek and Christian in nature and and Arabic or um, Islamic in nature. And about the um, Arabic inscriptions, they do mention that it could have either been the crew or some, you know, state level system of you know, recording things in taxation, and I thought, wow, that's a pretty wide variance. Like, yeah. how, how come you can't sort of narrow it down?
3: Yeah, um, yeah.
2: yeah, and and so right, uh, these is, the the inscriptions seem to be a little bit um, hard to uh, hard to pin down.
1: Right, and but then the other thing that I liked about the inscriptions, um, I didn't fully grasp it, but the Christian inscriptions, which are two different types of, of crosses. Um, might be associated with um, production centers, in particular monasteries, where some of these commodities might have come from. Right. Um, so that I kind of liked because that is, if that is correct, then that is an economic system that is being recorded. Right, but but I also thought that there the the
2: the sort of uh, lack of rigor in the interpretation crept in because if these Christian or Greek inscriptions. Um, are being, are uh, reflecting production at institutions, monasteries, then maybe the, maybe that doesn't, maybe that means that the crew was not Christian, that there were no Christians on the crew. If these are oh. indications of monasteries and who's producing the stuff and everything else. Oh, that's so I thought that that needed also a little bit more explanation um, because they make a big deal about, oh, it's a multicultural crew, right. um, you know, hands across the water, give peace a chance, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But maybe not
1: right that's a very interesting point good point yeah yeah so maybe we're just seeing the economic and not the social based on right the inscription. right yeah um yeah.
2: though they didn't they mentioned that some of the inscriptions are being carved into the um trim on the ship but they didn't yeah. really specifically talk about that so maybe that's what they were talking about is reflecting the crew
1: Right, right. And that's also where the idea of literacy, you don't really expect a ship's crew to be literate. Well,
2: this is, right. Okay, so that's another really interesting thing. Again, this the, the level of expectations of historians and archeologists about the past. Right. Like, you know, is it such a surprise that there was some degree of literacy among all of the sailors? I yeah. don't know, Maybe why not?
1: We shouldn't be surprised. Right, I mean, afraid. yeah,
2: they probably have to look at, you know, lists of things coming on and going off and you know
1: right, that and, and maybe like star charts and whatever <laughs> else star mean. charts
2: i'm a taurus <laughs> <laughs> not, <laughs> not those kind
0: yeah it's, I'm, I'm a cancer in retrograde but uh well but it's uh, literacy notwithstanding it's a multicultural environment that they're that they're operating in so they're going to be multilinguistic. Okay. okay right. for, for right. one thing if they're going to cyprus if they're going to the levant if they're going yeah. to egypt they're speaking yeah various they're, they're speaking greek certainly right they're speaking some arabic certainly they're probably got some pigeon other Persian. Per, pigeon persian <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> try saying that three times fast <laughs> Um, they have to deal with different systems of, of weights and weights measures, and
3: measure. right?
0: They exactly. have to, they have to know how much, how much to value. You know, we've got 870 pieces of, of broken glass. How much is that worth in copper or yeah. walnuts or some other <laughs> kind of <laughs> system of, you know, system of exchange,
2: right? Mm-hmm. you right. know they, they, they had a lot of information that they were able to process why couldn't they why wouldn't they be able to write at least at some level and the writing that they indicate wasn't quite you know we're not talking about ballet here we're talking we're talking right. about a very limited thing like thank god
1: right. <laughs> right. thank god we're safe and five grapes right. thank um, god right. the toilet still worked <laughs> right.
0: not, not like that not like that fairy from cyprus to Haifa that time
1: yeah
2: so i'm always surprised when people i'm always surprised when our and when our colleagues are surprised
1: yeah yeah
0: that is the surprising thing (laughs) yeah but the sheer volume of what must have been going on trade-wise ship-wise right thousands of ships going every which way all the time right um maybe some more in some periods and some less in other periods right and okay but that doesn't make, that doesn't make a dark age as such.
2: No. It, I mean, uh, anytime there's profit to be made, there's no dark age because someone sees opportunity and profit. Anytime, anytime there's war or the collapse of a centralized state, that means that, you know, private entrepreneurs are able to, uh, you know, get involved.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. And this is also a, a period when, you uh, you know, for, and from the late Byzantine Umayyad period onward, for the next hundreds of years, piracy becomes a big thing.
2: Right. Okay.
0: Particularly in the, in the central and western Mediterranean, which are kind of outside of the control of these re-emerging polities and states and empires and things and uh and that's that's good for for business too i don't know that anybody's ever excavated a, a pirate ship
3: mm-hmm.
0: in those parts but certainly on the analogy of pirate ships that have been excavated in places like the caribbean and in southeast asia again multicultural crews yeah. stuff that comes from all over right evidence of of uh different, uh, different languages, different uh, belief systems, all these kinds of things.
1: Right. right. And, and the, the multiculturalism as a whole shouldn't surprise us because, you know, it, it's not like they suddenly stopped speaking Greek just when, when there was a migration from Arabia Greek held on for a while. And I do remember reading a while ago um, an article, at least one article about the continuity of material culture in, in, the, the Northern Palestine, Southern Syria, Lebanon, that from um, Byzantine to Islamic, the same types of farmsteads were being built. And, you know, it wasn't like there was this sharp break. So we really right. shouldn't be too too surprised.
2: Less and less we're seeing sharp breaks. Yeah. I mean, as more material gets excavated and everything else we see, we see less and less in the way of sharp breaks.
1: Yeah. Um, so, one other thing that that you know made me pleased because you can sort of think of the story of oh my god the ship's going down we're losing everything are we going to die is that there were no <laughs> wow <laughs> there... that's uh, the story that's that the story was gonna...
0: of in a nutshell <laughs> a
1: story in a walnut shell um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but that there were no human skeletons found associated and they're close enough to shore that we can imagine well they're all sailors so they can all swim pretty well so we can imagine that everybody,
0: they probably took a test
1: right? right.
0: <laughs> before they signed, they signed on. Right. Um,
2: right. And that's what, and they also suggest that um, possibly a lot of the, uh, a lot of the stuff on board was, was uh, salvaged salvaged. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's another one of the amazing things is that um, how much salvage actually went on from coastal wrecks um in in antiquity generally Mm -hmm. i mean in addition to things being smashed to pieces and scattered (laughs) all over the seafloor but you know people could people could dive they could hold their breath much better than much better than i can certainly but but it also again and we've talked about this in the past insurance (laughs)
1: yeah
0: and insurance and, and reinsurance. And, uh, and, you know, what happens when your, your 23 meter ship filled with glass and other stuff goes down and what kind of economic impact is that? Okay. So uh, presuming that you don't drown, which is the biggest economic impact (laughs) of all, but uh, okay. You know, if you're, if you're just some, you know, poor schmuck sailor, you'd swim ashore, and you need a new job but if you're the owner if you're the operator who's responsible right who pays who who pays out the contract where's my glass right <laughs> you know the guy goes down to the shore every day uh in in limasol or wherever the waiting for his uh glass to be delivered and, and it never came right and mm-hmm. you know
2: what but that's again that's sort of that that whole thing about the kinds of questions you ask depend on the kinds of information you have, and those aren't archaeological questions; those are really pretty, pretty basic historical questions. You need yeah. texts.
1: We need texts. You, know, you
2: need you need information about you know, all of those kinds of things, and you're not going to get that from the archaeological record. Yeah,
1: that's true. That's true.
0: Okay. Well, <laughs> on that case. <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> well, then, uh, before maybe we've we've used up all our all our thoughts on this but one more thing i want to oh, just- no, we, we have one
0: we, we have barely one, touched one, the surface
1: here One little mystery
2: this the stone stopper and walnuts oh. from the northeast corner of the mediterranean so what do you guys think were they exported overland down to the southern levant or did the ship stop in the northeast corner of the of the
0: mediterranean i'm going to go with that yeah sure i'm going to go with this being kind of a coastal yeah Tramp steamer. Right. I mean, okay. can we use that? I don't think we can use that phrase anymore. <laughs> Itinerant um, steamer, yeah. and they're just oh, walnuts. <laughs> yeah, I'll take some of those.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. Very right. ad hoc. Like, yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever turns up at the trading post that they encounter.
2: Yeah, we're in the Bay of Scoundrel, and so <laughs> someone brought a Someone brought a yeah, <clears throat> a jar filled with walnuts. It's like sure. I'll take right. that.
1: Right, right. That's but that
0: it works at a variety of levels. Like, oh yeah, walnuts. These are these are cool, but also like like, hey, you know, I can get a line on on a hundred pounds of glass. Right. <laughs> where okay? Where are we going to take the glass? Right. <laughs> you know. You know a guy. Yeah. Yeah. Down down the line. All right. We're just going to stick the glass in the bottom and. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, the glass didn't take up a lot of space from what I can read. Right.
0: Okay. So, so it was then, a, again, a kind of ad hoc thing. It wasn't, it's not like a, a big, let's say Roman uh, uh, shipment of, of wine, right.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Where
0: you have a thousand amphora of wine in your hold and it's got to be delivered now.
2: Right. And they all have stamp seals on them. So, you know, it, you know this is wine from you know roads and this is wine from right. yeah. wherever and we're taking it to south asia and right exactly right but thirsty
0: customers that. are waiting and there's a contract and there's right. probably a window of of delivery okay. and uh as opposed to okay you <laughs> know we'll find somebody to unload this glass on yeah. you know i heard i know of a guy he knows a guy he knows yeah. a guy
1: Oh, but this, this kind of brings up something we talked about in our last podcast, like the business that the amphora is made in Egypt, but the walnuts came from maybe Syria. So, but they put the walnuts in this Egyptian, like, you know, where you're reusing your containers. So that's more of this ad ad hoc use of materials. Yeah. Right. Or,
2: you know, the guy with the walnuts just had a basket
1: Right, and it's
2: like where are we going to put this stuff?
1: Just you know, grab that jar over there. Pour right,
0: pour them we in here.
1: Unloaded whatever was in that jar. Let's just reuse that jar. Right. Yeah. 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 Right.
0: Again, as opposed to the to the Roman amphora yeah. filled with um, filled with wine or oil mm-hmm. that are going from place A to place B, after which, when they get delivered, the, the jar goes out the out the door into right. the giant pile of broken amphora. That you find near every Roman port, that's you know a hundred feet high, that's comprised of billions of sherds of broken amphora.
1: What a waste! Uh, I mean,
0: that's where are you going to put all this stuff?
1: They need a commingled pickup every Wednesday. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't think they
2: were into commingling at that point.
1: (laughs) They are, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so just one other thing i'll bring it up even though it's kind of a small point um we've been talking about the egypt cyprus levant kind of triangle um but the possibility of corsica or sardinia because they are ah. rats rats the rats oh right right yeah have originated in corsica mm-hmm. or sardinia they're also pretty quick to point out that rats could have come from any port like Corsican Corsican rats <laughs> right. could have uh, ended up in any other port and then boarded the ship, but um, but there they were. Right, exactly. I do yeah. like the idea of Corsican rats. But.
0: I don't think you've ever met a Corsican rat, I don't think so. and if you had, your opinion would probably change very quickly. But Not possibly. Well, but this—it's also—it raises a, a, a much larger point, and that's the dispersal of various species. Yeah. Um, around the Mediterranean, not not simply uh, domesticated species which are being transported intentionally, um, economic animals like you know sheep and goats and even cattle probably <clears throat> um, but cats, dogs, rats, mice, um, mice insects, um, which are incidental or they're commensal, yeah so they're and they're incidental and they're just being distributed all over the place and uh, this is probably how cats got distributed as well Mm. for example and uh except they're they're marginally more useful than than the actual rats cats
1: are more useful than rats marginally they catch the rats oh they catch the rats yeah yeah Right. otherwise they
0: have no <laughs> they have no use to humans um
1: <clears throat> but um, and the other other thing that i wanted to bring up is um well i think you already mentioned the stoppers but the fact that there are different types of stoppers that they found there's the stone stoppers there's the broken amphora bases toes stoppers um there's a
2: piece of leather
1: as it used right.
2: as a stopper or used okay. to yeah, to And, and waddle was the right. last
1: one. right? So there's, well, there's just different different styles coming possibly from different places. Right.
2: Or they're just, you know, they're just picking up whatever right. material they know has worked in the past. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and, and using it on- And shoving
0: it into place. the neck of a jar. Yeah. Right.
3: More of <clears> this <throat> business.
0: Right. And in, ter- in terrestrial archaeology, particularly in prehistoric periods or early historic periods, ooh, the different styles of stoppers. Right. These are indicative of, you know, different ethnic groups and different technologies. And um, later on, it's like, yeah, <laughs> you, have a, you have a jar, you just shove something in there, please. And, and, and let's be done with it. some
1: were sealed some were not sealed. And that's also, yeah, you just shove something in and maybe you seal it and maybe you don't. Right. Hmm. Hmm.
2: Final thoughts? Yeah. Um... No dark ages.
1: No dark ages.
2: Let's let's get rid of the whole concept of dark ages and golden ages. Yep.
0: And okay. bring everything into the light. <laughs>
2: <laughs> There's a Game of Thrones theme for you.
0: <laughs> Just walk towards the walk towards the light.
1: Um, um
0: Dr. Hallett.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. I was just thinking my usual type of thought, which is, I just don't think I would have been a very good um, crew member on one of these ships. Um, <laughs> I don't think I would have fared very well. Um, hard work, harsh conditions. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, that's all. That's all true. <laughs> it's not like it's not like just making a brisket or something. Um. <laughs>
1: I don't think I would have done well in antiquity in general.
0: In so. general. Yeah. Well, that's a whole other episode. Yeah,
1: I was going to say. Other
0: and, that, and that would be a very interesting kind of meta speculative
1: yeah. <laughs> episode. <laughs> let's let's think about doing that.
0: Yeah. In season seven. I just like the whole time capsule nature of these things. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the, the final moment preserved uh, sort of, kind of. Um, but then we have to untangle all of these threads and that brought these unfortunate people in their 23 meter boat to the bottom of the ocean and with them, with them in their walnuts.
2: Well, not them.
0: Well, no. the walnuts. <laughs> <laughs> Won't somebody think of the walnuts?
2: Yeah. The walnuts.
0: The okay. walnuts. Okay. 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 Well, that episode left me wanting to go down to the sea in ships, although just barely. So we'd like to thank Erez Dessel, educator in residence at the Savannah Music Festival, for our theme music. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, the White Star Line, offering high-speed service from New York to Liverpool weekly. To get in touch, leave us a comment or send us an email at This Week in the Ancient Near East it's all one word, at gmail.com or send us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177, Boston, Mass., 02134.